0: Turneth me over to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at uh, just a few words from the passage. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. Paul is writing and he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Lord, help us as we study your word. Our language, English, doesn't do a very good job of defining what love is. Uh, we, do, we do what we can to try to express how we feel through verbiage, but English, at least in this area, kind of fails us to describe the intense emotion, the sense of commitment, the all-in we have for somebody... Um, and, 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 and so, love is that word, but sometimes it doesn't do it as well as we'd like, so we add some things to it, and we try to define it differently, and we, we use other language and other things to, to bring some depth to the concept. We do know that it's, it's stronger than like, stronger than like, so much stronger is it that, that if you were to say to your... You're intended, the one to whom you've given a lot of affection, I love you. And and then they returned with, I like you. (laughs) There would be tears on the part of the person who said, I love you. That's how different we think like and love are. And so at least we have that distinction. But we also use the word love to describe things we intensely like. If you like pistachio ice cream and you really, really like it, you say, I love that stuff. (laughs) But you don't mean it the same way you mean it when you talk about the person that you love so much. But we don't have another word to describe intense-like, so we just use love for everything. We have one word to describe an intense emotional attachment or a real favorable response to something that goes beyond just my preference. But God chose two languages that are probably the best at describing this concept of love to record his Bible, Hebrew and Greek. The Hebrew has 11 words to describe love, 11. Familial love, romantic love, obligation love that you just have to because they were put at your doorstep. Whatever that looks like, uh, you don't have anybody that you just have to love. You act like you're I'm looking at me like I've never known, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, you do. You have some people that you have to love. You know Uncle So-and-So. <laughs> it has 11 words to describe love. <laughs> and so you, you didn't have to look for verbiage in Hebrew to figure out what you wanted to say. And nobody was confused when you used whatever word you used. In Greek, there are four. Now, of the 11 words in Hebrew and the four words in Greek... Only a few of them are used in the Bible, but they are used in extant literature beyond the scriptures. But we're going to go over today the four words that are used to describe love in Greek and then use the companion word that would be used in Hebrew if the Hebrew was used for Greek. And we're going to describe those concepts as we talk about this idea of love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. What is Paul saying here? And we're going to look at first the idea of Eros love. Eros is that romantic love. That's the love between a man and a woman that's, you know, real deep and kind of dreamy, look into one another's eyes. And I'm with you. you know. mm. um, that, that, that kind of love is described in Scripture, not so much in the New Testament as it is in the Old. In fact, God dedicated an entire book to the concept. It was so important. It's called the Song of Solomon. And Song of Solomon is, is, is a book between a man and a woman about a story of love, a Shunammite. And we believe the object of her attention is Solomon. And these two love one another deeply. It's a deep book on how to convey love verbally, how to express it materially, and how to join with one another in such a way that that the oneness is created that is unlike any other between two people that these two together make mm, music (laughs) and as a result of their union things happen that wouldn't happen if they were to be united with somebody else oh it's a beautiful book it's also a, a pretty mature book I mean, you need to read it with some real good understanding. But the, 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 the writer and, and the conveyor throughout the book is trying to help people understand how love ought to be received and how it ought to be given. Eros' love needs to be boundaried. There are some parameters around Eros' love. And the Shunammite says this in S- Song of Solomon chapter 2. She says to, to Solomon, Your love is better than wine. Mm. Makes me drunk. Just makes my mind go places. I feel out of control. I just wanna, I just wanna do stuff with you. I don't want to do it with anybody else. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just beside myself when I'm with you. <laughs> better than wine. And then she says in verse seven, maidens. Help me because I don't need to awaken love before it's time. So it's almost as if she's saying, when I'm with you, I have to pull back the reins so much because you are amazing to me and I need help to make sure my love doesn't outrun my common sense. (laughs) Don't let me awaken love before it's time. Eros needs boundaries boundaries. Now, we are fond of describing the idea of romantic love as yeah. that which is, is, is seen to be caps, caps, capsulated by one phrase. I fell in love with her. I fell in love with him. And I'm not mad about people who who do that? I think I, that's, that's really, that's, that's a, it, it, it should end, it, the, the goal of falling in love with somebody should be a dedication that doesn't have anything to do with feeling, but is for the other person's well-being for the rest of your life, a commitment like that. That's what the end product should look like. The problem is how it starts is not how it continues, meaning that when do we ever use the word fall in a complimentary way? winter's coming up and, and you'll do everything you possibly can for your sidewalks put salt, get your kids out there to make sure they're shoveling so that nobody because mm, falling's not good and if we do fall, we try to act like we didn't <laughs> don't we? I mean, when is falling ever a good idea? The only time I can find in the English language when falling is used in a complimentary way is when somebody says, I'm falling in love. And we think it's a good thing, but you you have to ask, from what height did you fall? (laughs) Why don't you stand anymore? What aren't you standing for anymore? It means generally... I've let loose my emotions, and I'm going to let them s- d- decide and sway me in the way I should go. I'm, I'm letting go of all my inhibitions, and I am now following my heart. <laughs> and I, Tell me how that works out for you. I mean, your heart is so knowledgeable. It's so skilled at doing the right thing. Why you want to follow that thing? It's led you wrong most of the time. You never want to make a major decision based on emotions. You want to make sure that you hold on to all of your principles and let your emotions follow your decision-making. Rather than falling in love, we need to grow in love. Growing in love says, okay, they're in the right category. I'm fishing in the right pond, they're a believer, good looking, man's got a job too, (laughs) goes to church, seems to be a real disciple, but I don't know if if we really click yet, so Lord help me understand who he is and help me to be who I am without pretending I'm somebody I want him to like. And see, when you pretend to be somebody you want somebody else to like, generally, you're saying, I'm hiding some things because if you find out who I really am, you may not affirm me like I want to be affirmed, and I really need to be affirmed in this relationship so I can fall in love with you, so I can be what you need me to be for you, and you can be what you need to be for me because I really want to be married. Falling in love... Is allowing our emotions to run ahead of our good decision making. Growing in love allows you to look at things objectively. And say okay I see that flaw. I see that difficulty. He's probably not going to change in that area. Most women think we do. We don't. (laughs) He's probably not going to change in that area. And, And so what do I do when he doesn't change? See do you fall in love? Then you say, "I do." You have this propensity to get back up. <laughs> Generally, you don't stay down anymore. You not, you get back up. See where you fu- where you fell in love before? Um, when he didn't open the door for you and went through it before you did, you said, "Okay." I, I, it's okay You know That's that's not the end of the world Now you both arrive at the same door At Macy's And you are right there at the door Before him But you stand there Not putting your hand on the door And he's wanting to, you okay? You okay? Anything wrong? the door locked? Macy's closed today? What's wrong? <laughs> you standing all the way straight up now. you standing straight up. Straight up. Straight up, straight up vertical. <laughs> You're not falling for that anymore. Now you have to grow, because he may never get it. He may never never open the door for you, ever. You'll be standing outside Macy's having to shop online. (laughs) What you going to do? Be bitter, mad, upset? This is who you married. You said I do. And this version of worse probably isn't the worst version of worse you could have. Better or worse thing. You know what I'm talking about? What you going to do? You got to grow. Now, if you come into the relationship realizing he's probably... His mama didn't train him, did she? All right. So, like, he's probably going to be this way. I'm not... I I would love to train him, but he's probably not going to take to my education. So... Yeah, okay Lord, I'm going to deal with this for the rest of my days if I need to. I can work with this. That's growing in love rather than becoming embittered. Eros needs boundaries or else you will let your emotions begin to tell you what you ought to do and ought to be. You can't let your emotions lead you. You cannot. It has to be good decision making, but your emotions are involved. You let your emotions follow your good decision-making. Okay, even though I don't like that, I'm not going to let that mess me up. In fact, I'm going to love him through it. I'm going to share how much I appreciate what he does for me not be mad about what he doesn't. I'm going to let my emotions begin to convey what I think about him and how he's a wonderful provider and how he cares for the children and how he comes home every day rather than me having to chase him down. I'm going to let him know all that. And that he doesn't open the door, Lord, that's up to you. If he never opens it, that's okay. i got two hands. I can make this thing work. <laughs> Make this thing, I can make it work. I can make it work. But I want you to know, I'm not going to let this change my life, make me treat him different. You let your emotions begin to be trained by your decision-making. Okay. Are you listening to me? That's what growing in love is. And, and that's the only way relationships ultimately will work, to get you to the destination where you want to be. Now, I'm not just talking about women. There are things in men, got that are really problematic. And it doesn't have anything to do with what the woman is actually doing wrong. We are the mess-ups 90% of the time. But it is, it is important that we understand the differences cause us to have to to reevaluate things on a regular basis if we don't go in with our eyes wide open. Eros needs to be bounded, And it needs to be bounded within the context of I do's. There ought not be a whole lot of romantic stuff going on until you find somebody who really says I do. Now, I'm, I'm, I love millennials. Love them. All the people we have up here doing other stuff and preaching, millennials. I'm about to give this to the whole millennial generation. Love them. I don't have a problem with them. But I realize this, that every generation has their issues that they got to deal with because they just may not have grown up with the right kind of thinking and I know my generation did and we had to learn what right looked like and so I'm talking to people and folks come to me and <clears throat> say pastor not in the churches. You know, I'd like I'd like you to dedicate my baby to the Lord we 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 want to dedicate our baby said, Oh, great that's beautiful that's great said, so, so so when can me and my girl meet with you Uh, Run that back. Just just run that back a little bit. You and who? My girl. You're not married. No. Oh. Well, you know, I think it's wonderful that you want to dedicate your child. It's beautiful. It's a great idea. I mean, he needs to be given to the Lord. That's great. But, you know, there's more to just praying a prayer. There's the example that you set in the home about what it means to love your spouse because the best way you can raise your child is to love your spouse. And right now, you're not loving her because, at least not the way you should, because you aren't committing yourself to her well-being. Wait a minute, I'm committed to her? We live together, I'm committed. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's when you realize you can't start at the starting line. You have to start way back behind the starting line. Because there is no conviction that folks ought not be living together. I mean, it's, it's one of these, why? Aren't you supposed to, to test drive the car before you buy it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I say, okay, let, let me help you. You need to learn to love this woman by saying, I do. Well, I do is only a piece of paper. I mean, I'm already committed. myself. it's only a piece of paper, sign it. <laughs> you know it's more than a piece of paper. That's why you won't sign it. <laughs> well, I'm just not ready. But you're ready to do everything else that marriage is. You're ready to have children. You're ready to live together. You're ready to do all that. But you won't commit to this woman. And you cannot raise your child well until you love her like that. You can't, you can't bypass her to get to your baby. You gotta go through her to get to your baby. And going through her means you love her as your wife, not as your girl. Now I didn't say it like that, I'm preaching today. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, really, that's important? That's important, which brings me to the second topic of store Not only does arrows need to be boundaried, and that somebody needs to say I do before you get the privilege of doing the other stuff that produces human beings. Boundaried. That's the way God said it. But if you have human beings, you better make sure that you're doing and loving those kids the right way by loving their spouse. Now, loving their spouse doesn't, doesn't, it's not a catch-all whereby all of a sudden the kids are going to come out right. There are so many other things that need to be done when you talk about raising children. But if you don't do that well, everything else is compromised. Everything else is compromised. You can't make up for that by doing everything else right. You've got to do that first. You've got to love your spouse like that. Because you want your children to grow up with an example of, my daddy loved my mama like that. Committed himself to her, wanted no other women. You want them to have an example. Otherwise, hypocrisy reigns in their soul. Mom and dad never did it, yet they called me to go to church regularly and read my Bible. Hmm. Wonder what that means. Storge. And the words for Eros <clears throat> uh, in the Hebrew are Ahabad. The word for Storge in Hebrew, at least the concept, is Rakam. And, and, and it means how you treat. That child which is given to your stewardship, they are not yours to train as you wish. Psalm 103, verse 3, talks about how a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his people. And the word compassion there is the word racham, whereby it, it talks about a familial, parental guidance and care that is given to children that is beyond just provisional. It is a watching. It is a training. It is a protecting. It is a rearing up. It's not just mom and dad's job to make sure your children stay out of Leavenworth. A federal pen is to make sure that they are trained. It's not just enough to to make them good citizens. It's to make sure they become disciples. Now, when they get older, they have to make their own decision. And that is independent of you. You do the best you possibly can, and then they got to decide whether God is going to be their God or just your God. But you want to make sure that you are laying the groundwork whereby they might make that decision. And they make it in the best interest of everybody around them. And they make it with strength and power. And they give themselves. They don't just add God on to whatever they're doing. They add everything on to what they're doing for God. Training. Loving. Like that. That kind of love is beyond just care. Cynthia and I had... We worked pretty hard. I don't know that we worked harder at anything else than raising our children. Work hard on our marriage. But together, as, as couple, raising our children was, was big. We had family devotions that were so much fun. We did them for over a decade. We, didn't, we stopped doing them because our children were gone. Either in college, playing sports, it just didn't work anymore. After school things, it just didn't work anymore. But gosh, from, for, for 10, 12 years, every night we'd have a 20-minute moment where the children got to talk. They led with... What God spoke to them in their daily devotion that day. They had their little Bible according to their age group. And then we'd have a song we'd sing. And then I'd do a little devotional that was all about Daddy being the people in the Bible. So I, if I was Samson, I'd walk around like I had muscles. And then. <clears throat> Uh, Moses and the Red Sea and boy it was just a lot of fun daddy told the story in a way that made them just captivated and then we'd pray for each other and pray for the family and, and, and it was about a 15 minute moment maybe 20 but every day the children would ask somewhere around 3 o'clock we doing devotions tonight? because it did a couple of things it, did, it, it accomplished spiritual discipleship but it did family It allowed them to become communicators because they had to share something in front of all of us. And so they didn't know, but I was training them to talk in front of people. And so all of them are pretty good communicators. A lot of stuff happened in the family, but we were intentional about training our children. That's how you love them. That's how you store gay. Thirdly, there's philea, which is the brotherly kind of love that... that You're my dog, bro. We, that's my running boy right there. We, we, we together. That best friend kind of thing that's, that's a different texture than the, than the storge or the eros. The it's, it's how people in fraternity work together. And for the most part, you come here for, for a couple of reasons. You come here because you realize you can probably get some pretty good teaching. You can get some good worship and song. You can find God in a way that you could not find him at home or else you'd stay at home to do it. And fourthly, you want to connect with people. You want to find somebody that you can relate to, somebody who can be your friend. And I don't know whether it's realistic for anybody to think that that sometime in life you're going to have that soul tie, that partner who is you and him, just like that, my soul partner. I don't know. And everybody's looking for that that sense of belonging that somebody else will give them. But hardly anybody is looking to be the somebody else that gives it. And because everybody's looking for the somebody else to make them feel like they are now tied to them, hardly anybody ever gets tied because everybody's looking for that other person to make them feel that way. But if everybody were trying to be the person rather than ask for the person to be that person to them, then everybody would get their need met. And it would require us to move in a different kind of love in order to see that happen. Because you're not going to be with people who you, you like all the way through. I mean, there's going to be some, some speed bumps and, and some nasty stuff that you just, you know, you want to say bye to. But those are great opportunities to say hello. Which leads me to my next point. And I'm going to segue from philea to agape. And philea, the Hebrew, was yadad. And then when you get to agape, the word is ava again. Ava has a couple of different meanings in Hebrew. But philea is best seen, at least in the distinction between that and agape. When Peter is on the shore and Jesus is conveying some, trying to convey some truths to them. They have just come in from a night of fishing. Jesus helped them to, to get the greatest catch they've ever gotten in the morning. Peter recognizes Jesus on the shore. He jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore. The disciples come in with the catch. Jesus already has breakfast for all the disciples on the shore. And the first thing he says to Peter is this. Peter, this is in John 21, do you love me? Now I'm convinced that these three times that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? were to cover for the three times that Jesus knew that Peter denied him. And Peter did it three times. On the night he was betrayed, he denied Jesus. Excuse me, on the, night he was, on the night he was taken to be crucified, Peter denied Jesus three times. And I think this was the moment whereby, at least by way of soul and word, he could say, I'm giving you a redo. And so he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Now, when Jesus says, do you love me, he says, do you agape me? Now, agape means... The God kind of love, the unconditional love that is not dependent on how you treat me in order for it to be received by you from me. He says, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Now phileo means you're my buddy. Hmm. I imagine Jesus paused and said, you didn't answer my question, boy. Okay, well. Tend my lambs. Now, what he's also doing here is Peter's a fisherman. What do you do when you catch fish? Kill it and eat it. I'm changing your job. No longer are you going to be somebody who takes things for your gain from people. Now you're going to be somebody who gives. Tend my lambs. Feed my lambs. Use your life as a benefit for them rather than using their life as a benefit for you. Changing your profession. And you're going to have to do it in such a way that you, you're, you're tender to these lambs. And here we have the first kind of Christological architecture about how Jesus wants church to be done. He's saying, care for young people, tend lambs, provide for them, feed them. And then he says, make sure you tend my sheep, care for adults. And then shepherd my sheep, make sure you not only feed adults, but guide them and help them and protect them and give them everything they need whereby they can find a green pasture and be what they need to be. Three things that Jesus says in here that help us understand how we ought to do church best. It's the only place in all of the New Testament where he gives us an idea about how church ought to be done. So second generation is really important. And some churches don't do anything about the second generation because they ain't got no money. Teenagers don't come in with the wallets. And so churches don't reach out to them intentionally because they have to pay the light bill. And I get it. But Jesus said, you better care for my lambs. You better care for them. So he says, I phileo you. Jesus says, okay, we'll tend my lambs. The second time, Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Jesus said, agape again. Peter says phileo. Jesus said, well, shepherd my sheep. Okay. Third time, Jesus says, do you love me? But this third time, he uses the word phileo, not agape. When we don't get it, God sometimes just says, okay, I'll come down to the level where you can at least give. Peter never understood, at least during this conversation, what Jesus was trying to get at. Do you love me unconditionally? And this is what it was like when I said in the beginning, if somebody says romantically, I love you. And the other party says, I like you. Jesus, he knew what was inside man, so he wasn't super disappointed. But if he were me, I'd think, dude, you aren't even close. You're not even close. And he asks him again, giving him another opportunity, and he still misses the boat. And then Jesus says, all right, do you fillet on me? Yeah, I do. I like you a whole lot. I beg you. Don't live your life in such a way that Jesus has to come down to you. Come down to your level. He's trying to get you to live at a higher one. And he's already come down and sacrificed his life. He's done everything for you. Don't make him sacrifice his standards just to communicate and relate. Come up when he asks. Do you love me? Which leads to my last point. Do you agape God? Not just people, but God. God. Because he sure does have have an unconditional commitment towards your well-being. There's no question about that. He sent his son when you didn't ask and were not worthy and were running in the opposite direction. He loved Brett when Brett was unlovable. And he requires us to love him the same. Yet, though he has given us covenant, we return contract. (laughs) Contract is this. Let's sign this thing so I am protected from your misdeeds. That's contract. You don't perform, I'm out. Covenant says this. Doesn't matter whether you perform, I'm always in. God does covenant, we do contract. Let me tell you how we do contract. Lord, if you will get me this job. God, if you let me have this woman, I'm telling you, I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. I'll tithe. I will tithe, God. I will tithe, and I'll give to the missions. I'll give to orphans in in India. I promise you. Just let me get We make contracts with God, and then when he doesn't perform like we like, where were you? I ain't going to church no more. I'm not going to read my Bible. You didn't show up like I thought you were supposed to. Where were you when my baby was sick? Where were you when my marriage dissolved? Where were you when I lost my job? Where were you, God? And although those words may not come out of our mouth, we do it with our action. Do you agape him? Do you love him? Even when it doesn't work out the way you want. Or is he your buddy? You like him a lot. And when he helps you out, you're his girl, you're his boy. Not only that, we need to love one another. And in order for us <sighs> to love one another, we have to have a deposit from God that fills our soul because we are unlovable. Unlovable. We do things that offend one another regularly. And the only way we can love each other the way we should is go beyond phileo, go beyond arrows, go beyond storge, and love people unconditionally. Listen, it is not supernatural to love another person romantically. It is not supernatural to love your child. It is not supernatural to love your buddy. But it is supernatural to love your enemy. And this is why Paul says the fruit of God being in your life is how much you agape. Unbelievers can love their babies. Unbelievers can love their spouse. Unbelievers can love their their, their best friends. That's why they're their best friends. But only people who have God on the inside of them can love the unlovable, can be kind to those who are unkind, can return good, For evil, only the people who have God on the inside of them can love their enemies. That's why it's the fruit of God being in your life. Agape. May you this week, agape. And don't wait for somebody to do it to you before you do it to them. Let's pray.